0: glad you're here today. It's a beautiful day. Thankful for the opportunity to be here. If you're visiting with us, as always, we invite you to come back. We're thankful that you've chosen to be here this morning. We're always grateful to have the opportunity to come together on the first day of the week to worship God in spirit and in truth. Thank you, Brother Billy, for leading our singing today. The prayer that was offered just a moment ago by Brother Dio, we appreciate that. And the scripture reading. Today, I want to invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, the theme of our study today, the last call. If you've ever had the opportunity to fly, then you are familiar with the fact that at some point in time prior to your flight, someone will make the announcement, flight 445, is about to depart, heading for your destination. It may be that you have taken a bus ride and in the bus station you have heard someone come over the PA system and say, last call for your appointed destination. In Revelation chapter 22, we have the last call. It is if... John the Apostle is making one last-ditch effort to reach people with the gospel. So you have the last call, the last book, and the last chapter of Scripture. John issues the last call. I want to talk about the last call for a minute. I want to begin by talking about The last call has been issued by, by whom you ask? Well, number one, by the Savior, by Jesus. The text that was read a moment ago identifies Jesus as the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last, the root and offspring of David. Jesus, the focal point of the New Testament. The one who said in the long ago, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. The one of whom the apostles affirmed in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name unto heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ is the man of salvation. He is the means by which we enjoy a relationship with God the Father. And John, in this book, emphasizes the Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, John would say, Speaking of the Christ, unto Him who loved us and washed us by our sins, by His own blood. So to understand that the last call has been issued by the Savior. And with Jesus, there is the opportunity for forgiveness. We live in a day and time in a culture today that mocks and ridicules the idea of sin. This whole concept of sin has been banished in the minds of many. And yet, what does the Bible say? There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. John said in 1 John 3, verse 4, that sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is a universal problem, plagues the human family. We are not born sinners, but we are born into a world of sin. And Ezekiel said, the soul that sins, it will surely die. Paul would say in Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. And yet through Jesus, you can enjoy the forgiveness of your sins. Paul would say in Ephesians 1, 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. To know that in Christ Jesus, we can be redeemed. Redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Reconciled in His divine body. No wonder Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, be reconciled to God, to enjoy a relationship with God, to have the forgiveness of sins. But then not only is there forgiveness with Jesus, but you have a future with Jesus. If you're living in the world and you can read the book of Revelation, you can read the other books in the New Testament. One of the Points of clarity made over and over again there is no future outside of Christ. If Jesus Christ is not in your life, you don't have a future. You may have a limited future here upon planet Earth, but when you step out into eternity, when you're standing on the plains of eternity, there is no future. As Paul said, you're without hope and without God in this world, Ephesians 2. In verse 12. And yet the difference, verse 13, Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off are brought near, made near by what? By the blood of Christ. You see, when you become a child of God, you then enjoy the hope of life eternal. Paul said, We live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Listen to what John said, 1 John 2, 25. This is the promise. What's the promise? Eternal life. God has given us eternal life. This life is located where? In His Son, 1 John 5, verse 11. John said, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So to be in Christ Jesus, to enjoy forgiveness and to have a future... To know that at some point in time in life, we're going to come to the end of the road. The train will stop. Whether we like it or not, we'll get off. The question is where will we be in eternity? So, first, the call that has been issued by the Savior. The last call has not only been issued by the Savior, but by the Spirit. In Revelation 22, verse 17, John said, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. The Spirit here would be the Holy Spirit. And through the word of inspiration, there are any number of passages of Scripture that continually encourage us to come to Christ. You remember what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, at verse 2? Paul said, today is the day of salvation. One of the things about Scripture that is set forth over and over again, the power of God's Word. God's Word has the ability to pierce the hardest of hearts. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter and the other apostles preached on Pentecost Day, the Bible says that they were cut or pricked In their heart. In other words, God's word resonated with them. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God and the salvation. The Hebrew writer said the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. When you look at the scriptures, the scriptures are making an appeal to you. And what John is saying is: here is the last call. The Spirit says, What? Come power of God's Word. Please do not let it fall on deaf ears. Jesus talked about listening and listening attentively. In chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, Jesus said to each and every church, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you listening? Are you listening to the last call of Scripture? And then what about the promises of Scripture? Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 that God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How often have you heard people say, the Bible presents facts that must be believed, commands to be obeyed, but promises to be enjoyed. Over and over and over again, there are promises extended to us. Pardon from sin. Peace with God. The presence of God in our lives. The privilege of prayer. The opportunity to live in hope of that promised home in heaven. These are divine promises. And the beauty of Scripture is, set forth, they're set forth in clear detail. And then, the last call. Not only issued by the Savior and by the Spirit, but by the saints. John said, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. And whoever will, let him take of the water of life Freely, that is those who are thirsty. Thirsting for a better life. One of the great things about being a part of the church is the church is comprised of caring people. If you're here today and you're not a member of the body of Christ or you're not faithful to God and somebody has reached out to you and try to teach you or encourage you or push you in the direction of doing what's right. You know why they did that? Because they care. They care about you. The church is made up of caring people and compassionate people. Jude, in verses 22 and 23, said, On some have compassion, making a distinction. And others, he said, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. If somebody talks to you in a candid way about the gospel of Christ, about your lifestyle, they're not doing that necessarily to hammer you, they're doing it to help you. They're trying to encourage you to do what is right. So you have the last call. I'm just here, the Savior calling over and over again. Didn't Jesus say, Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, the promise being I'll give you rest. The last call issued by the Spirit, and over and over again, God through His Word appealing to people. And then the saints, members of the body of Christ, reaching out, trying to make a difference in the lives of people. The last call has been issued by the Savior, the Spirit, and the saints. But secondly, who has it been issued to? The last call has been issued first and foremost to the lost. I think that we're living in a day and time in a culture where there are a lot of folks that really do not know they're living in sin and that they're lost. As hard as that may be to grasp, that is the truth. They have no idea that the lifestyle that they're living will ultimately lead to eternal death that last call has been issued to alien sinners, to people who have never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible, in a very candid and forthright way, teaches us what we must do to be saved. God has done His part. God sent His Son to die for our sins. And the Bible tells us but God, who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace are you saved. So God has done His part. But the question is, have we done our part? I know that there are people in the world today that will, that will tell you, that will say, you can't do anything to be saved. Well, if that's the case, Why then did on Pentecost Day they cry out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Why did the jailer ask, what must I do to be saved? Is there something that I must do? You need to first and foremost hear the gospel of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And then you've got to put that faith into action. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? You may be here today, you've never obeyed the gospel, but you believe Jesus is who He claimed to be. You believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus, that He is, as Peter said in the long ago, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Furthermore, you believe that He has the words of life eternal, and you believe that in Him are all the blessings of salvation, but you've never acted upon that faith. Faith without works is dead. You've got to be willing to put into action your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jesus said, except you believe that I am, He said, you'll die in your sins. And listen, if you die in your sins, Jesus said, where I am, there you cannot come. If you believe that, the next step, you've got to repent. You've got to repent of all of your sins. Jesus said, I tell you, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. In Acts chapter 17, we have the Apostle Paul. He's in the city of Athens. He's preaching the gospel about the one true living God. The one of whom he affirmed, it's in him that we live and move and have our very being. Why? Because he's the giver of all life, breath, and all things. In verse 30, he said, The times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. You've got to be willing to repent of all of your sins, to walk away from a life of sin, to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God. But we're not finished. You've got to be baptized into Christ to be saved. How do I know that? Listen to what Jesus said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That is a direct quotation of what Jesus said. It's not about what He said. It's not maybe what He said. It is what He said. On Pentecost Day, when they were instructed to repent, they were also told to be baptized. For what reason? For the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins. Paul said he was instructed to be baptized to wash away his sins, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. Now please listen very carefully. If you have not done that, you are not a Christian. You're not a child of God. And you're lost. You need to know that. Not only are you baptized into Jesus so that you might contact His blood, but the Bible says you are then added to His body. Please listen very carefully. Nowhere in Scripture does the Bible authorize denominational bodies. Not one place. You can read the Bible from cover to cover. You will never read about Protestant churches in Scripture. Not one time. You can't be saved in a man made church. Did you know that? You can't be saved in a denomination. There is only one church that saves. That's the church that Jesus died and purchased with His blood. Acts 20, verse 28. And if you're not in that blood-bought body, you're not among the saved, the redeemed, the cleansed. It's just that plain. Paul said, by one Spirit were you all baptized into one body. What's the one body? He's the head of the body of the church. You mean to tell me in the religious world there are all these churches and you're saying there's just one church? Now what I'm saying is what the Bible says. If you've got a problem with that, then you need to take it up with the Lord because He's the one that died and purchased the church. Belongs to Him. And by the way, the Bible says the church wears His name. It is the church of Christ the church that belongs to Christ. It's not the church of Thomas and Alexander Campbell. It's not the church of the Wesleys. It's not the church of the Smiths. It's the church of the living God. And if you're not in that church, you're not among the saved. Somebody needs to tell you that's what the Bible teaches. John said, the Spirit and the bride say, come. If you're not a part of the ecclesia, the community of the saved, the ecclesia is the called out. In the New Testament, the Bible says that those who obeyed the gospel were delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Just one kingdom. Kingdom and the church, synonymous. So if you're in Christ, you're in the church. And don't let anybody tell you you can have a relationship with Jesus but you don't need to be a member of the church. That is not biblical. The church is God's redemptive plan. It exists because God foreordained that it exists. It was in his mind before he laid the foundations of the world. So there's one church and one body. The appeal is to the lost, those who are alien sinners. This might be the first call, first time you've ever heard the gospel. Might also be the last call, might be the last time you hear the gospel. There's a second class, apostate saints. If you're a member of the body of Christ, if you've obeyed the gospel and come out of the world and gone back into the world, somebody needs to tell you you're lost. You can't go to heaven and not be faithful to the Lord. Peter talks about those who have escaped the corruptions that are in the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but then are again entangled therein and overcome. And here's what Peter said, It would have been better for you not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the Holy Commandment delivered. Are you faithful to the Lord? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Do you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind? Are your affections on things above and not on things on this earth? Is your life in harmony with the will of God? Sometimes people leave the Lord's church. They go back into the world. And John is writing here and he is appealing to people. You need to listen. You need to listen to what the Bible says. Coming today is going to be too late. So there is the last call. The last call has been issued to the lost, but also to the living. Here's what the Hebrew writer said in chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed unto man once to die after this, comes a judgment. On February the 18th, 2001, I remember watching on television the pre-race events for the Daytona 500. I'm not necessarily a huge NASCAR fan, but I've watched many races. On that day, they focused on Dale Earnhardt. I never will forget, he sat outside, outside his bus and looked, as we say, calm, cool, and collected. And he talked about being the only driver with the opportunity to win an eighth championship. At that time, he and Richard Petty, Petty both had seven championships. I watched a good portion of that race. On the final lap, in the final turn, Dale Earnhardt was running third in that race. Michael Waltrip was leading the pack. Behind him, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Interestingly, Dale Earnhardt Sr. owned the car that Michael Waltrip was racing in, as did he own the car that Dale Earnhardt Jr. was driving. So he's trying to protect that one-two finish. If you watch the tape, you'll see that he was bumped from behind. His car traveled up the wall at about 155 or 60 miles per hour. And I remember watching live when he hit that wall. Immediately, his hood popped up and began to bandy back and forth. I walked back outside. I thought, race is over. Last-ditch effort had a wreck, and he'll be angry. What I didn't know, he was killed instantly on that day. Let me ask you a question. Do you think he ever anticipated not finishing that race? I mean, he's the last lap. He's in turn four. He's on the home stretch. He's probably already thinking about what he's going to do that afternoon or the rest of that afternoon and evening. Celebrating with his son and Michael Waltrip. And just like that in eternity. What if you had died this past week? You know in Luke 16 we read about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man had a good life, didn't he? The Bible says that he was clothed in purple and fine linen, lived in luxury, lived, lived the life of Riley, as we say. And Then there was Lazarus, who sat at his gate, desiring the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. The dogs were said to have come and licked his sores. But you remember Jesus said both of those men died. Lazarus died and was carried by the angels into the bosom of Abraham. The rich man was said to have died and Jesus said he was buried. And then the text says, and being in torment, he lifted up his eyes. Imagine for just a moment You died this past Friday. Your body is now down the road at Brantley or Coleman. Your family's already picked out the clothes you're going to wear to be buried in. They've already made out your funeral service. Tomorrow we'll have your funeral. Might even have it right here. But you're gone. Why? Because you died Friday. So my question to you, had you died on Friday, where would you be right now? Where would you be spending eternity? Something to think about. You need to think about it. When I was in the 10th grade, one of my best friend's dad was an engineer, thin guy, Not real tall. Looked like a picture of health. Died of a heart attack instantly before work. My buddy told me, he said, you know, that morning my dad seemed fine. Nothing seemed to be wrong at all. But he died on a Friday morning. Shook us all up. What if you had died Friday morning? Friday evening. Where would you be right now? Where would you be as we speak? Would you be in that place called paradise, the abode of the righteous? Or would you be in that place that Jesus talked about as torment? You remember, Jesus said that the rich man asked Abraham, let Lazarus, Come and dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. And I want you to listen to this. In Luke 16, 25, here's what, here's what Abraham said. Son, remember. Perfect memory. One of the most haunting things That will no doubt accompany those who lose their soul in hell will be the memory or memories of opportunities that were spurned. I wonder how many people will one day stand before God and ultimately lose their soul that had opportunity after opportunity to obey the gospel of Christ, to be baptized into Christ, but for whatever reason said no to the gospel. When I was 14 years old, I was baptized into Christ. I never will forget, I was in the parking lot and an older sister came up to me to congratulate me as we often do to people who become Christians. And here's what that lady said to me years ago. She said, and she at that time was probably well into her 70s or 80s. She said, when we were kids, my brother was in attendance, in worship, sitting next to a friend. On that morning, he was going to obey the gospel and become a Christian. Here's what his friend said, wait till next week. What could hurt? Wait another week. Here's what she said to me. He drowned that week. So what about you? If you had died Friday night, where would you be right now? Where would you spend eternity? This is the last call. I can tell you this, there have been occasions when I have preached on Sunday and there have been people present that were not able to come the following Sunday because of death. Don't think you can beat it. Don't think that this might not be your last call. I hope not, but it might be. So you leave here today and you're not a Christian and you die, you're lost. You're lost not for just months and days and years, but for eternity. So why would you, why would you jeopardize your eternal soul? The last call. If this were your last invitation, answer this. Is there something I need to get right before I die? Last call. Last call. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you need to respond. Don't leave here and think You'll be back next Sunday. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Solomon said, Who knows what a day may bring forth? If you are unfaithful to the cause of Christ, and you know in your heart of hearts you need to make some things right, I encourage you to do that today. The standard is Scripture. And we are of reasonable intelligence. And I would assume that we know whether or not we are faithful or unfaithful. If you're not seeking first the kingdom of God, and you don't love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you're not putting kingdom things first in your life, you better respond to the last call. My plea to you today, think about where you are. The call is issued to the tired, to the thirsty, to the troubled. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation, please do so as we stand and sing.